Welcome to Unexpected Points. I am your host, Kevin Cole. This is episode number one, the inaugural. Um, guess they probably do get bigger than this guest, but I don't know if they get better than this guest. I'll take this it. is uh, <laughs> the late round quarterback, as you know him, JJ Zacharyson, editor in chief of FanDuel and Number Fire. Uh, I just want to say that this is a fantasy specific episode. It's not necessarily going to be a fantasy podcast, but I want to have the best minds from all different areas. So that's why I came to you, JJ. Um, I know we, you know, in the fantasy industry, people don't necessarily take snipes at, at anyone else there, but I would say that. You know, genuine respect is always there for your work. So I thank you for being my first guest on the podcast. I appreciate that. That's very kind. And I'm I'm glad that I'm the uh, the quality over quantity guest for you. I, I like that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you, you do some numbers too, though. So, so yeah, don't, sure. don't, 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 don't slack off there. Um, so here's what we're going to do for the episode. So JJ, every year leading into the season, you know, he obviously has the tiers. He has the rankings. He has everything that you have out there. My favorite pre-draft, draft prep piece of content that you put out is the 15 bold predictions. Now, for those of you who have read this before, you know that uh, JJ nailed a lot of these last year. So many, so, so many that when he put out a tweet uh, commenting on how he, he missed on some of them, he was, you were basically being accused of humble bragging, I think, or, I or I don't know what the proper term is on there because, because people are like, no, you nailed too many of these to be saying anything other than uh, chest pounding at this point. Well, look, so, some of them were really bad. Like one of them was something about Darwin Thompson, like outscoring the combination of Kareem Hunt and some other backup running back last year. Like there were some really, really atrocious ones, but I think that's why this, this article is so interesting to me because generally when we're approaching, uh, you know, our, our fantasy rankings or we're looking at who we want to target or avoid, we're looking at a fairly narrow range of outcomes. Now, obviously once you get into round, you know, eight, nine, 10, I mean, even earlier than that, arguably, uh, you're looking only at the higher end, but you know, we're still staking and, and making claims about these players based on some reasonable range of outcomes. But if you sort of widen that a bit, uh, that's what this bold predictions article is really looking at. Instead of looking at, say, you know, the 25th percentile outcome to the 75th percentile outcome, we're looking at the 10th percent outcome to the to the 90th percentile outcome. So uh, that's really what I try to do with this bold predictions article. I'm not I'm not hot taking it. You know, there's there's substance to it and there's logic and reasoning behind it. Um, and that's why I think some of them hit at, I mean, look, they, they hit at a way higher rate last year than they're going to hit again this year for sure. There's no doubt, but uh, I think that's why there's at least a decent enough hit rate with these, because I'm not just throwing stuff out there and just saying things for the sake of saying things. I'm really trying to, to think within my own mind and say, what are the true range of outcomes for these players? So I think that's, it's very helpful then for people to read this and sort of, sort of get inside my brain more than just, Oh, draft this guy or don't draft this guy. No, that 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 totally makes sense. And just again, to go over some of the the picks from from last year, just so we can we can know what, what they can expect, what they could expect. Give them give, give them the, give them the bad ones. Just give them the bad ones. <laughs> well, no, no, but we're, we're skipping the bad ones because okay, those okay. those don't those no one no one tunes in for that. Um, we only we only look at the good ones here. So we have Darren Waller will finish as a top eight tight end. Um you know, depending upon how you look at the scoring system, which games you include this in that top two, top three uh, per game basis, top five, I think. Yeah. So um, pretty strong. Definitely a major contributor, especially considering where, where his ADP was last year. Uh, both Mike Evans and Chris Godwin fishing in the top 12. Now, 
Godwin was a popular choice among some fantasy analysts, but at the same time, I mean, you, you still still nailed it. And not only top twelve, you know, Godwin was was the one of the biggest surprises of the year, being right up near the top. Um, Dalvin Cook finishing as a top three running back again. You know that he he was winning leagues for, for for people last year. He had a little bit of an injury problem, but obviously the 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 process was there. Um, and the biggest one, which is surprising, because. You know, quarterbacks don't matter. I'm sure that's one of the things that doesn't matter. That doesn't <laughs> yeah. matter. Uh, Lamar Jackson finishing as a top three quarterback, which was bold, obviously, to say top three, especially when you consider the consistency of the position year over year to say someone's going to jump out of, you know, relative obscurity, not obscurity, but relative obscurity into the top three and not only be top three, but be number one, be a guy who who won leagues, obviously, for for, for people last year. So we have all those. So are we ready to top that this year? There's no way. I mean, realistically, we were looking last year. I I basically hit on every position, every like big value league winner at the positions. Um, and part of it's luck, of course, it's luck because I when I when I write an article like this, you know, I don't have only 15 bold predictions. I have like 30 of them, and then I whittle it down, right? Um, and the same same holds true for this year. So there's it, part of it's luck just by what ends up getting into the article. But I will say that it was all skill. And I nailed everything, and it was awesome. Okay, well now now it's time to to see to see you defend these, okay. because you know a lot of obviously it's good to have a podcast. Everyone agrees. Everyone's like, oh, you know, um, uh, who's the guy this year? Uh, uh, t- like like one of yours for top t- two top twelve wide receivers for for Ridley joining Julio Jones. You know, everyone agrees on this. We can all pat each other on the back. What I want to yeah. do here is instead inspect these a little bit here. Okay. Not that I don't think they are good, bold predictions. Not that I'm against any of these, but I kind of think it helps with the process just generally to pick apart. And I think anytime you have a position, it's probably good to come at it from the other angle and say, you know what, I'm going to do like some debate team nonsense here and and just argue for the other side, even if I don't believe it, to pick out some of my own my own flaws and really strengthen the the take that I have there and uh, maybe, you know, maybe go against it. So I think the format here, what I want to do is I want to give you the floor for your elevator pitch for these takes yeah. um, for these 15 bold predictions. I'll maybe poke some holes in it and then I'll give you the floor. And if you want to concede at that point and just say, you know what, I'm that next I'm going down to 14 bold predictions, so, you know, 13, 12 and so on. I give you the option of doing that. Um, but like I said, I, I like most of these, so I, so I don't expect that, of course. Uh, does sure. that sound good to you? That sounds great. Let's do it, man. All right. Well, let's get into this. 15 is quite a bit. And you also notice um, for my counterpoints here, they're much more detailed for one than for 15 because I just got exhausted even trying to, <laughs> to do the research on this. So I appreciate the work that you put into this because this was like uh, I had to take a break um, about every five takes to even even do this sort of research. So anyway, let, let's get into number one. First, J.J. Zacharyson's certified bold take is Terry McLaurin will score more points than Amari Cooper. Uh, why don't you give me the, the like I said, the elevator pitch on this one? Yeah, so, you know, obviously McLaurin's being drafted like 12 to 15 spots. He's rising a little bit, um, you know, versus versus Amari Cooper, uh, Amari Cooper at the wide receiver position. Um, and, and the main reason I... I said this and think this is that if you look at obviously you know in situations like this when you're comparing one player to another you're looking at a lower end for one player and a higher end for the other one the higher end for Terry McLaurin is 
him seeing a very high target share in what should be projected to be a fairly mediocre to bad offense. Uh, but, you know, he should be able to walk into a, a 25-ish percent target share, uh, just given what he did last year. That's at least in his range of outcomes. Uh, and then the other thing, you know, a lot of people will look at what happened last year and say, oh, he had 93 targets uh, and he had a 20% target share in that offense. They ran an unbelievably conservative offense to the point where they had the second fewest plays. Part of that's because they were inefficient, of course, but they also were, were fairly run heavy for how bad they were. Um, so they ran a pretty inefficient offense. They had the second fewest plays run uh, in the NFL since 2011, not just last year, but since 2011. So if you see, obviously, that that overall pie uh, get larger, which it should, you know, if they had an average number of plays last year, he would have had 110 targets instead of 93. And we might be looking at Terry McLaurin even differently right now, despite the fact that a lot of analysts are are high on him and, and he's rising up draft boards. So I do think that just given that fact, just given the fact that they could be more, you know, there's a regime change and a system change. Uh, we could see them uh, run more plays overall. And if he does get into that 25, 26, I mean, realistically, I think that he has a ceiling of a 30% target share in that offense, just given what else is around him. Uh, if he does get in that range, then he should be able to see, you know, 130, 140, maybe even 150 targets. Now, of course, with Amari Cooper, you can project him to be in that 120-ish range, 120 to 130. But again, if you look at the downside of Amari Cooper last season, and, and I always look at last season to this season because that's generally how ADP transfers and, and how people are drafting, generally speaking. So, you know, if you look at him last year, he scored eight touchdowns. And a lot of times when we see a stat line like that, especially with the amount of yards that Amari Cooper had, we say, okay, that's a reasonable amount of touchdowns for a guy like Cooper and a good offense to score. Um, but if you look at at Mike Clay's opportunity adjusted touchdown metric, which uh, you know looks at at where his targets were coming from and uh, the amount of air yards that he was getting for his targets, uh, he should have had like three or four fewer touchdowns than he actually had last year. You add in CD Lamb to the mix. That team, if Dallas is better, maybe they're a little bit more run heavy, just given game script. Um, and I, I just don't think that Amari Cooper is by far and away the number one wide receiver on that team, at least range of outcomes wise. So I could see a scenario very easily where, you know, Terry McLaurin sees a target share that's eight percentage points higher than what Amari Cooper sees. Uh, clearly, he will need a little bit of touchdown luck, I would say, in order to, to make this prediction come true. But I think it's at least in their range of outcomes. No, no, yeah, that I, I think I agree with with almost everything that you said there. Now it's it's funny because you started talking about McLaurin, and I think that's really the strength of this prediction is is like his upside essentially yeah. that that's there. I think a lot of people see Cooper as being a little bit fickle as far as production is concerned. Because when I looked at attacking this, I really was kind of looking at it from the Cooper side more than from the McLaurin side, only because I think with Cooper there are a couple of analysis points that are out there that may be overstated not that you overstated here but just generally one of them is this the cd lamb factor right yeah so uh you love cd lamb i love cd lamb he he was great in a lot of different production-based models but if you think about the cowboys you know they lost a ton of targets i i I mean just digging into how many different targets that they lost last year i mean randall cobb had 83 targets jason Wynn had another 83 targets um, they also lost s- some other some other production there. So we're talking about 190 targets that they lost there. If you think about C.D. Lamb, I looked at first round wide receivers who have gathered 100 targets uh, since 2010. Only seven of 32 got to 100 targets. Only 12 got to the 83 targets that Cobb had. So in some ways, he might not even be a lateral move from Randall Cobb as far as what sort of production he's taking. He could be more. He could be less, of course. And then. You look across the rest of the, the the roster. I think 
uh, obviously you have, you know, Zeke's going to get going to get some passes. You're going to have other guys. But as far as the depth of wide receiver, you have guys like Devin Smith, Cedric Wilson, Ventel Bryant, uh, Dalton Schultz, Blake Bell at tight end. You know, Blake yeah. Jarwin is coming in. He only had 41 targets. Like, how many is he going to pick up? Is he going to get to 80-something targets? So I think that's another question. So that that's number one. I think there's a lot. There's a potential there for Cooper to actually perform and to get a lot more targets than anyone anyone expected there. And my second point here, and it, you weren't very strong on the Dak Prescott's going to throw fewer passes, but I think that's probably something that everyone thinks this year. And part of really digging into Mike McCarthy's offenses when I looked at them in the past. I mean, I realized they were pass happy, but I didn't quite realize how pass happy they were in the past. They were. So from 2006 to 2018, uh, the Packers ranked first in, in neutral game script, as far as pass percentage, five different times during that they were within the top 10 an additional five times. So 10 of those 13 years, and they were never lower than 20th. Whereas Dak in the past, you know, he ranked 31st um, in his rookie year, 30th, and then uh, 19th. And then it it boosted up after that. So I think there's really a chance for Dak to have that volume should be a lot higher and for, for Cooper to have this. We have a lot of the volume is there for Cooper to potentially set a floor that's going to be really, really difficult for McLaurin to get to, especially considering this quarterback play. Yeah, I mean, I think those are all very fair points. I I, I will say to the C.D. Lamb point that one of the keys to this is likely a Blake Jarwin pseudo breakout. You know, Blake Blake Jarwin being a more significant asset than maybe not where he's being drafted. I think he's being drafted at a reasonable place for for uh, assuming some sort of breakout. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't disagree with you. I, I will say with the the McCarthy numbers that I, I do think Aaron Rodgers drives some of that, at least a, a portion of that, um, whether it's the fact that they have Aaron Rodgers and he might feel more confident in that player or whether it's Aaron Rodgers literally checking out a plays and and going with with a pass as, a, as opposed to a run. But yeah, I mean, I think it's all very valid. I, I think just range of outcomes wise, you know, this is just one of those scenarios where, yes, I, I absolutely have Amari Cooper ranked ahead of Terry McLaurin, but I also see a scenario where, you know, CD lamb is special where Blake Jarwin has a pseudo breakout where they don't necessarily see as many pass attempts as they did last year. Um, I think all those things can come together and I don't think it's that crazy for them to come together. And that's why the, the prediction is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. I forgot built into this was that uh, for most of those years, Aaron Rodgers was good. Yeah, right, back. right. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was <laughs> good. Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. I forgot to put that as part of, as part of my analysis. Um, so good Aaron Rodgers, probably better than, uh, than good Dak Prescott, even still. Okay. Yes. So let's, let's, let's move on here. Um, we need to tighten it up here. We'll be here for a while. Uh, number, number two, Cam Newton will finish as a top five quarterback. So we're not going to top three. So we're, we're respecting, yeah. we're respecting, yeah. uh, we're you got Mahomes and Lamar Jackson. You got it. You got to play safe. Yeah. Respect it. But top five, still pretty bold. So, uh, g- give me, give me the, the elevator pitch on, on Cam as a top five quarterback. Yeah, I mean, look, when, when you're looking at I, I do think the quarterback market is very efficient this year in terms of, of quarterback ADP. Uh, the top six quarterbacks, especially, are the guys who can both run and throw. And then, you know, you, you have Josh Allen there who is sort of in, in the middle of, of at least has what he can do with his legs. But who knows what he can do with his arm now that Stefan Diggs is there. Um, yeah, speaking I, of bad quarterbacks, right? Yeah, right, right. I mean, I would say Josh Allen has a top three season in his range of outcomes for sure. But of all the players that are being drafted late, 
Um, Cam Newton fits the bill of, of someone who can uh, elevate himself and become a top five passer. If you're looking strictly at ceiling, uh, you know, the research I've done, I did articles this off season on spotting breakout running backs, spotting breakout wide receivers and spotting breakout uh, tight ends. And I try to do it at quarterback too. And it was almost impossible because quarterbacks are either, if they're having an outlier season, if they're a top three fantasy quarterback, uh, they're generally doing it because they're, they're getting it done through rushing or they're having an unsustainable season in terms of touchdown rate. Um, and so it's hard to really predict what's going to happen and, and who those quarterbacks are going to be, but at least Cam Newton can do it in multiple ways. He could, he could hypothetically get this done with his rushing, but then he could hypothetically, you know, what we saw in 2018 from Cam Newton was a very strong quarterback before he went down. And I understand that there's the argument to be made that he doesn't have the weapons in new England. Um, but he didn't really have great weapons in Carolina throughout his, his career. Um, so I'm not all that concerned about that. I'm only semi-concerned about it. And then if you look back, he's finished eight NFL seasons with 14 or more games played. He's been a top four fantasy quarterback in five of those seasons. Um, so we know that he's done this and that he can do this. And again, if you look back to his most recent sample, everyone points back to that game against Pittsburgh, that that primetime game where he hurt his shoulder uh, back in week 10 in 2018. He, he was hurt the rest of the season. And then last season, obviously he's banged up and he's not healthy. So I don't know how much we can take, take away from the second half of 2018. And then obviously what happened last season, but up until that week 10 game in 2018, he was averaging about 24 fantasy points per game. He was the QB four in fantasy football. So I think of all the lay round quarterbacks, he's the one who has the most upside. Okay. Yeah. I totally agree. I've taken cam in some leagues the thing that okay here's the, the one thing that came out to me that came out when i was digging this more is is really the split between his rushing production and his passing production right and i think it all comes down to this year whether or not they're going to unleash him and he kind of wants to be unleashed on the ground um i looked at his splits for his ranking and fantasy points overall. You mentioned how he's been so strong in fantasy points overall, but I looked at it from uh, a rushing and passing perspective, those two different things, right? Um, so if you look at from a rushing perspective, he was over his career, I'm just going to go through the years here. He was first, second, first, second, first, third, second, first, when you go to 2018 through that midpoint in the season. So he is really just nailing it every single year in fantasy. If you look at his passing production, he's only been in the top 10 twice. Yeah. He was number five in that MVP season in 2015, and he was number nine in that rookie season. Other than that, even when finishing fourth overall or third overall, he's still 19th, 14th. 17th 15th in his fantasy points ranking for passing so I think that's really the problem and the fact that that his rushing you know fell off so much in the second half of 2018 and to start 2019 when he had those injuries so I I don't know I feel like the fragility there I I guess I kind of forgot how poor of a scorer he is through through the air because you got that impression from that 2015 season that he was throwing these you know these bombs to Ted Ginn all the time I just don't know if something like that is is, it seems like a very very low chance of happening so you're just really banking it all on the fact that he's going to get that rushing production yeah I mean look it's not unlike Josh Allen in the way that he scores fantasy points it's that's really what you're looking at it's almost he's almost a discount Josh Allen in fantasy right um but but what does he have a conscious though Josh Allen has no conscious (laughs) or or awareness okay I mean, I, I, <laughs> yeah, you, you got to hope for it with the way that Cam's Cam's mentality has been in New England. Right. Um, but I think it's all valid. I, I just I just still see, you know, the fact that that if they do unleash him on the ground, this is absolutely in his range of outcomes, in my opinion. I agree. OK, well, we'll we'll move on with this one. Um, 
to number three. Yeah, I hope Cam is unleashed, but I do think this idea that, you know, 2018, that 20, the 2018 formula of him passing the ball, I think might be a little bit overplayed, basically. Yeah, it that's, could be. That, it could be. Okay, so um, number three, Jarek McKinnon will catch at least 15 more passes than Mark Ingram. Okay, uh, I think on its face, we, we can see this. What, 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 what do you say? What, what, what stats do you have to throw at me for this one? I think this is like the least bold of all of them on, in this article, honestly. Um, and and the, maybe... The, the, the main reason, I mean, look, Mark Ingram last year had like a 70 or 77% target share in that Baltimore offense. They were pretty run heavy. I mean, they're going to be more pass heavy this year, just based on basic regression and, and the fact that there's almost no way they're going to be as good as they were last year. Um, but he only had 26 receptions last year. And then they obviously add in JK Dobbins, who has a pass catching skill set. Um, so I, I'm not very bullish on Mark Ingram. I mean, I think Mark Ingram could have a good front half of the season, uh, but I, I think skill wise and, and what we could see from Dobbins, it's not hard to imagine Dobbins just cutting more and more into to Ingram's workload, especially as a receiver, uh, since it's not like Ingram was was heavily, heavily targeted, not just in terms of raw targets, but target share, which is obviously more important for projecting. Um, so with Mark Ingram, you know, I could see a scenario where he's under 20 receptions, let's say, which means Jarek McKinnon would have to get in that 35 reception range. Um, you know, him on the Vikings, uh, the four seasons that he played there, he was at 27, 21, 43 and 51 receptions. Clearly he played a different kind of role towards the end there, especially the year where, where Dalvin cook was hurt. Um, but you know, San Francisco, the, the way they utilized Raheem Mostert last season when Raheem Mostert became starter or was playing 50% or more of the team's snaps, uh, he wasn't seeing that much volume through the air. He had a sub 7% target share. Um, Tevin Coleman is is a very average running back overall. I think Kyle Shanahan is the one person who likes Tevin Coleman most on planet Earth. Um, but so Tevin Coleman might see some work as a result of that. But to me, Jarek McKinnon, there's positivity surrounding him. If he's healthy and if he can find the field, um, I think he's going to be the third down back for San Francisco. And it's a team that last year they ranked 14th in the NFL in target share, despite, you know, some inconsistency from a guy like Mostert and, and Tevin Coleman and even Matt Breida. I just think there's room for him to seriously catch 30 plus passes. Um, and if Mark Ingram does get dinged by J.K. Dobbins, then I could see this coming to fruition. Yeah, no, I, I when you say it's not bold, I agree. It's not bold if you throw the health thing out of the uh, yes, out of the totally out yes, the window, that's right. yes, out yes. the window because I mean I think everyone knows the the health issues right yes. especially with with McKinnon but the contrast is like so wide that I thought that as part of any any rebuttal it kind of has to be highlighted the fact that not only has McKinnon missed the last two seasons but Ingram has not missed a game due to injury in four seasons. Yeah, you're right. Yep. So, so he, um, whatever you know, he, he could he could be out right I, right as we're speaking. He could be out for the season yeah. or something. So, so it's not like he's an Iron Man or something, but he has been that that guy. So at least being on the field, he's probably been more reliable as far as um being on the field than than any other running back that you can think of here. So, so there's that. The second thing is, I feel like with Lamar Jackson that he doesn't throw to running backs a lot. Um, it was pretty low. Um, what, what I was looking at the percentage of targets. It was around 12 and percent of the targets, yeah. which was pretty low near, near the bottom of the league. But the thing was in 2018, it was five and a half percent of, of his, of his targets. He was just running all the time. So I do think there is some potential for him to get higher. And when I looked at Jimmy G now, again, things can really switch up there, but when you took fullbacks out of the equation, yeah. he was throwing about 16% to, to target of, of, his, of his targets to running back. So again, not, not a huge amount. And I just feel like for McKinnon in some ways, 
if he's their third down guy, because they have these two two first down guys. So if he becomes the the third down guy, if you start thinking, okay, this is how often Jimmy G throws to running backs on on third down, how many targets is he going to need? He's probably going to need, you know, 40, 45 targets and then have a pretty high a high catch rate to get above what Mark Ingram's going to have. And you start to put that all together. I feel like he's going to have to be the guy on third down, almost every third down to get there, or he's going to have to be like a, a running back that they mix in all the time. So I think there are, there are just a few different ways that things could fall apart for McKinnon, even if he is healthy. Um, and, th- and that's really the biggest question mark, obviously. Yeah, I, I think it's all logical. The one thing, I w- two things I will say is that obviously there's injuries that are going on in, in San Francisco at pass catcher. So the, the target distribution could look a little bit different. Uh, but then on top of that, you know, I made the, the argument that sure, Baltimore is going to going to be more pass heavy this year. San Francisco should be, too. I mean, realistically, we know that defenses don't translate. For, I mean, they lost pieces, plus defenses don't translate very well year over year. Um, so they shouldn't see as many positive game scripts, which could also maybe change and shift that running back target share a little bit in that offense. But I think all your points are very valid. I agree. All my points were pretty valid. Okay. So <laughs> next, uh, Adam Thielen will finish as a top three wide receiver. What, what you got for this? Yeah. I mean, look, this is just a volume argument, right? Uh, I, I, I threw the stat in there that since 2011 uh, of the 27 wide receivers that finished in the top three at the position, 23 of them of the 27 had 150 or more targets. Um, Last season, Adam Thielen didn't do much. He was banged up. Uh, Minnesota obviously sees a lot of positive game scripts last year. Kevin Stefanski was a fairly run heavy, run run heavy coordinator. Um, So all of that combined, I mean, even if he had a really high target share, it wouldn't have been that, that dramatic just because they were pretty run heavy. Uh, But now there's no Stefan Diggs. They really don't have a number two target on that team right now. That's, that's locked in. Um, I could just see a scenario where, you know, not only are they more pass heavy, but Adam Thielen could get close to that 30% target share range um, and then have this this sort of outcome as a result. Not only that, but if you look at the landscape at wide receiver, now I'm, I'm still someone who's drafting wide receivers early uh, in, in fantasy drafts. So don't take this as like me being a, a robust RB tout or anything. Um, but if you look at the wide receiver position, it is flat. It's It's fairly flat. Um, and we're seeing flatter point totals across the position year over year. So I don't think the competition might not, the competition might not be as fierce as it looks whenever you say top three wide receiver, because I do think that there's only a handful of wide receivers that have that 150 target uh, range in their, in their range or targets overall in their range of outcomes. So, um, you know, if there's an injury, uh, if Julio's banged up, whatever, I could see a scenario where Adam Thielen's just a top three guy. Yeah, no, I agree with the landscape on the t- overall, and I was just thinking about that the other day. I mean, I, I mean, I like guys like Devontae Adams, but you know, when when Adams is up there near the top versus in prior years, you know, you had let's say Andre Johnson, Calvin, you know, yeah. Calvin Johnson, Terrell Owens. You had these real, I feel like real kind of prototype uh, wide receiver ones. Now we have you know Tyreek Hill and Devontae right. Adams and an old Julio Jones. So obviously, there's a lot of fragility outside of Michael. Michael Thomas, which is just on a, on another level. But the the thing that came out with Thielen, I don't really have a good numbers, you know, crunching base take on this, but I think it's part of the philosophical thing of, of how you look at wide receivers versus how you may look at running backs. And I don't think someone like Juju Smith Schuster last year. That was well, that was one of your bull takes. Number one overall. That was yeah. That was one of my one, yeah one of my awful ones last <laughs> I was, year. <laughs> yeah, I buried that, but I'm bringing it back because. Um, I, I mean, I was I was kind of with you on that one. Um, uh, but, you know, maybe there is something maybe these film watchers know something, you know, not a lot, but maybe they know something <laughs> about whether or not someone can, 
you know, get above a certain threshold of targets, essentially. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's like when someone gets injured and you're, and you're redoing your projections, you're not, you can't just filter targets from one player to another like you could filter right. carries or something like that, right? So when it comes to Adam Thielen, like, we've seen him in that mid twenty sort of range. Can he get the 30% targets? Like, just because there's no one else there, does that mean that he can take that other that other step up when he doesn't have digs running the rest of these routes. So I think that's the the issue with Thielen for me is just the unknown of whether or not he can he can actually get to that 30% target mark. Because if you look at the players who have achieved that in the past, um it is normally your these like prototype wide receiver yeah, one yeah. one the type of guys. guys. Not always, not yeah, always, yeah. but it is yeah. it, it is it is somewhere that so that, that that's my one concern with with Thielen. But I agree that the possibility is out there. Yeah, I feel you. Okay. Number number five. We probably need to pick this up a bit. <laughs> right. I'll go quick. Uh, I know. Okay, Marquise Brown will score more points than AJ Brown. Brown versus Brown. Yeah, I, I mean, I love I love both of them as players. First off, like a- AJ Brown to me is going to be the next big thing. Uh, got yeah. him everywhere in Dynasty, etc. Um, but if you look at last season, Tennessee, uh, when Ryan Tannehill took over through Week 17, they scored a touchdown on 26 of their 30 red zone trips. AJ Brown had a historically high yards per target rate, which almost always regresses uh, when it's that high. It was 12 and a half, I think, last season. Um, and, and so and then obviously what's built into that is his his crazy yards after the catch rate that he had last year, which is just these are all numbers that are bound to regress. Like uh, anyone would agree that that AJ Brown's going to regress. So the argument really is that they're a run heavy team, as is Baltimore, of course. Um, but Tennessee actually only threw like 10 more passes than Baltimore last year. Something very, very close. I don't have it in front of me, but um, you know, we could, there's a scenario, there's a range of outcomes here where Baltimore actually throws more than, than what Tennessee does. Um, And, and Hollywood Brown, you know, they're both in these situations where there's not a ton of competition uh, for targets in their offenses. Um, And Hollywood Brown though, he's going to see his, his uh, targets down the field more. He'll have a higher average at the target. He might end up seeing more end zone targets as well this year. That wouldn't be that shocking. Um, so I'm just, I, I'm, I'm bullish on both guys. Uh, I, I think that from an ADP standpoint, I like Hollywood more cause you're not having to spend that like third round pick to get him. Um, but I could see a scenario where the offenses, uh, are a lot closer than projected in terms of passing volume and the target shares of these guys are fairly similar or close. So I'm going to side with the guy who has the higher average at the target and potential, uh, potentially more end zone targets too. Yeah. 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 I agree with, with that. Now I'm going to cheat a bit here. And I'm not really going to attack whether or not he'll score more points than A.J. Brown. But, you know, obviously the bold predictions are predictions. But again, it's a way of thinking about players who can who can offer something as far as this effect on your on your fantasy team, like winning your league, essentially. So the one thing that the problem that I have with Brown for Marquise Brown versus A.J. Brown is, you know, what what is his high range of, of outcomes? Yeah, I think I think. People have comped him to Deshaun Jackson. I think that's a pretty good comp. Um, I mean, even Jackson in his heyday was a guy who could get into the top 10, but not necessarily going to consistently be up there. And maybe I'm looking through the paradigm of these historical comps a little bit too much, and the, the game has changed, and it's not all about you know the the Julio Jones types of, of receivers in the past. But those are the guys that A.J. Brown can comp to a little bit better, is your A.J. Greens, your Julio yeah. Jones, your Mike Evans, your Hakeem Nix was another guy, uh, R.I.P., that, that, that he, he was comping with. So I think that's the only quibble that I have here, is I think this is a good prediction, but if you're thinking about you know, the, the upside with Brown, I think, I think it's really, I'm a little bit sensitive on him with ADP. If he, if he, if he rises up too much, I may, 
not be as enthusiastic about him versus someone else I feel like may be able to get to that super high end. Yeah, I mean, that's the main reason I think that I, I, I like A.J. Brown straight up a, a lot more than than Hollywood, not in terms not just in terms of what he can do on a football field, but in dynasty, etc. Um, whereas if you're looking at sort of this one off season, you know, you're, you're looking at, at what they're working with in this 16 game sample, smaller sample, more variance. So you could see something like this happening where Hollywood has a, a better season in this one particular year. But I'm with you for sure. That AJ, like I think AJ Brown is very, very special. Whereas for for Hollywood to be able to reach that and be that consistent, he doesn't have to be Deshaun Jackson. He needs to be, he needs to be Tyreek Hill, right? He needs to be that that extra good player, um, as as opposed to Deshaun, who who's always like a fringe wide receiver one in his best seasons. Yeah, I mean, I, I will say some of the the downside to Marquise Brown is this talk about you know Lamar Jackson doesn't throw to his wide receiver. So I do think there is an element of yeah. you know looking at looking at who his wide receivers were last year and. Uh, he seems like a guy who can't progress. So I'm, so I'm, I'm not against, I'm I'm not going to hold uh, uh, Marquise Brown that much down because of that. Now, someone who's a little bit more of an unknown, uh, your sixth bold prediction, TJ Hawkinson will finish as a top five tight end. Um, so at first I was thinking top five maybe wasn't aggressive enough, but then I thought about the names up there and I was like, well, it'd be pretty tough to get, yeah, to it's get another to quarterback situation. It's another Cam Newton situation. <laughs> well, you yeah. know, I mean, tight end's pretty deep. I mean, there are some years, not this year and not last year. There are some years where like tight end six, you're like, eh, you didn't really do that yeah. much, honestly, for you. But but I, I think that's different this year. So anyway, I'll, I'll give the floor to you on, on TJ Hawkinson and as a top five tight end. Yeah, so I did that study on spotting breakout tight ends uh, this offseason. What I found was that they're generally they generally share some some common attributes. One of them is that they don't come from nowhere usually. Some of that's target share related, but some of it is is high equity and and, and draft pick related and draft slot related. Um, they're often year two or year three players, which is similar to what we saw. I think I think you looked at this too with with wide receivers uh, and their age being very important. Uh, they play with good quarterbacks, which I thought was interesting, and then they're athletic. The good quarterback thing was crazy where I think there's logic to it though, too, where, uh, you know, if you're, if a good quarterbacks are going to be able to progress, you know, look for them from one player to the next a lot quicker than bad quarterbacks. will. and I, I, I based good and bad quarterbacks by ADP basically breakout wide receivers, their, their average quarterback in ADP was QB 19. Whereas these breakout tight ends was QB 11, QB 12 Stafford roughly fits that criteria. Uh, but the athleticism piece is the most important for sure at the tight end position where, uh, the, the average, uh, speed score, uh, at for these breakout tight ends was in like the 86th percentile. Uh, and Hawkinson obviously fits that mold as, as well. We didn't see a lot from Hawkinson last year, partially because he was injured, uh, partially because we didn't see Matthew Stafford for the full season. We did see what his ceiling could be against Arizona. Um, and, and you know, you're looking at a, a scenario in this bevel offense where it's really just a, a throw it deep often, have a really high average depth of target from Matthew Stafford, target your, your weapons in the end zone a lot. Those are the two pieces that I love to look for in my pass catchers. Um, and, and Hawkinson could, could easily walk into at least the, the third best target share in that offense. I think that he could push Marvin Jones for a higher target share realistically. Um, so that's the main reason why I could see this top five season happening. Yeah. Now, Two different things. So I'm I'm probably becoming a little bit too entrenched on being skeptical on Matthew Stafford this year because I agree that he was great last year, but it's one of those things where he has a career of yeah, you yeah. know, like eight to twelve type of QB performance, and then he was outstanding that one year. So that's that may be one thing that I'm a little bit skeptical of. The second thing, 
I guess for the athleticism, like some people think that he's not that athletic, at least vis-a-vis someone like Noah Fant. And then some people think that he really, so you think he, he's high enough on the bar as far as his speed is concerned for that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like we're looking at like Hayden Hurst is high enough on the bar and, 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 okay. and Irv Smith is fine. You know, it's, it's, it's really what you're looking for is the majority of these guys, I think like all but two of them in the breakout sample had like an above, above average uh, speed score. So if you have someone like, like Jay Sternberger, who's not very athletic at all, that's more of a red flag as opposed to a guy like hawk who's at least well above average and how about rookie year of production because when i was looking through guys who make that second year leap um i also found that like the third year was a little bit more of you're, you're getting a little bit wider base of guys who are able to perform really well let's say get like 800 receiving yards or something that you may need to get into that sort of range with touchdown help the fourth year is similar there so for that second year i know that kelsey seemed to make that leap out of nowhere essentially um jimmy graham um was was kind of came out of nowhere also but there haven't been a lot of guys who really jumped out out of of nowhere so what do you think about that as being an issue as far as the rookie year production not really being there are you gonna you're gonna say injury discounts a lot of that concern if there is any yeah, yeah, and I would I would also I was just looking this up just to make sure but but Tyler Eifert's kind of in the same boat where his he was a third year guy but his second year was non-existent so it was similar to this in a way um where you know you can just see a scenario where this guy is is uh, a touchdown freak as well and can get double digit touchdowns. Um but yeah, I mean I I think that there's validity, you know, you want a Mark Andrews type rookie season where you have some production and then insane efficiency, right? Um but given the fact that that he had these the the quarterback situation last year given the fact that he was banged up i think you can at least give it somewhat of a pass agreed now number seven jared goff will throw more touchdown passes than drew Brees. uh is this just a goff regression play or did do we have something else that we're missing here <laughs> yeah i mean it's a goff regression play uh, but it's also a, a breeze regression play uh people don't realize how freaking in, insane efficiency we saw from from drew Brees last year when he came back from that injury uh he had a 7.1 percent touchdown rate last year which is the highest of his entire career uh and then jared goff was at three and a half percent um, so, so both of those numbers are going to be closer than they were last year. I do worry a little bit, and this might be your t- retort, but I do worry a little bit about Brandon cooks, not being there and, and what, what kind of impact that can make. Um, but we saw them do a little bit better with 12 personnel towards the end of last year. Um, Van Jefferson apparently is getting some, some good reviews out of camp, which is good. Um, and then also, you know, the other thing that I think is really interesting is, you know, obviously you and I don't think that running backs matter all that much, but the way that a coach might view a player like Todd Gurley, uh, the Rams, when they, when, when, when McVay landed there over the last three years, uh, the Rams have ranked second lowest in pass rate from, from the goal line from within their opponent's five yard line. Uh, and that could be somewhat due to Todd Gurley. I'm not saying that it's entirely, but I think that they might just have that security blanket feel at least when they're play calling and they're giving Todd Gurley the rock there. So if they throw the ball a little bit more close to the goal line, that could also help Jared Goff. And then the only teams that have been better at scoring touchdowns uh, since McVay entered entered the picture for for L.A. has been the Saints for one, but also Kansas City. That's it. That's it. So we know the offense can be effective. Uh, I think Goff is one of those players. Um, you know, the other thing, too, is I've found that uh, players and, and quarterbacks who have low ADPs, uh, uh, QB 15 or later, which is around where Jared Goff is being drafted. If they had if they have multiple pass catchers being drafted in the first four or five rounds of fantasy drafts, they almost always exceed their ADP. Um, which is not that surprising because they have good weapons and, and there's a reason the market is looking at the weapons in that way. And then the quarterback's going to follow in some way. 
Uh, so I, I just like Jared Goff this year. I think he could he could have a strong touchdown rate, which he did the first two years with Sean McVay. And then if Breeze takes a step back from touchdown rate, I don't think it's that crazy to think that this would be, you know, insanely, insanely bold. Yeah, yeah, definitely not that crazy. I guess when I was looking through some of the numbers, I was surprised by uh, for Breeze. I mean, I know that he was he was up above seven percent in his in his touchdown percentage, which is pretty insane. But if you look at Goff and you say, okay, let's let's look at last year and the two prior years all together, throw his rookie season out. Um, if you if you take all those together, the touchdown rate, he's at a touchdown rate of 4.9, a little bit over 4.9%, so close to 5%. Now, if you look at Breeze and you look at his touchdown rate in the past, you know, obviously he was off the charts uh, last year at seven, but even 11 out of the last 12 seasons, he's had a higher rate than that. He's had at least that 5%. Rate so you know he you know he could fall off age wise okay but he has a I think a better floor than some people think with the concerns about volume and other things I mean I just think Breeze has been better than a lot of people yeah. think I know he hasn't thrown a lot he's been the you know he was second I think in our, our grade PFF grade last year he was first the year before he almost won the MVP he was really kind of leading in the MVP race in a lot of ways going into the end of the season so I would say that Goff can get there, but it's like Goff's going to have to really kind of outperform more than I think Breeze is, Breeze is going to underperform just because he's so consistently good um, every single year, year in and year out. Yeah, I would say, though, too, with the touch with touchdown rate, obviously that's multiplied by the number of pass attempts that these guys will have. Right. So there's right. there's definitely a scenario where we could see the Rams throw the ball 100 plus times more than the Saints this year. So that's that's the other piece that I think would would favor Goff. Definitely. Uh, okay. So James Connor will score more points than Nick Chubb. What you say? Yeah. I mean, I'll be, I'll be pretty quick and concise with this. I mean, James Connor has more of a three down workload coming than what Nick Chubb could see. You know, a lot of people are talking about uh, what Stefanski could do for Nick Chubb. Nick Chubb last season had almost 76% of Cleveland's rushes, which was the third highest rush share among all running backs since 2011. So it's really hard to imagine a scenario where Nick Chubb sees a higher rushing share, especially with Kareem Hunt playing the entire season. We know Kareem Hunt's the better, the superior pass catcher, or at least that's how they should use him. And that's how they will use him. Um, so that will, will cap Nick Chubb's ceiling a bit as a pass catcher. You know, I love Chubb. I think Chubb could easily, I mean, you could, you could say that Nick Chubb's the best pure runner in the NFL right now. And I wouldn't blink. Uh, so I think Chubb is awesome, but you know, you're looking at James Conner where last year they obviously had weird situation going on at the quarterback position. The year before that was the only season that James Conner was starter with Ben Roethlisberger also starting and healthy. And that season he averaged 21 and a half points per game in 13 games, which isn't even close. That's 5.6 points higher than Chubb's single season high. So, I mean, it's, it's, to me, this is fairly easy to see as long as they continue to throw James Conner out there as a three down back. And of course, as long as James Conner can stay healthy. Yeah. I think the upside argument for Conner is, is fairly, um, it's not like a, it's not like opaque or something. It's it's there. You can you can see it. We saw it in in DFS. Anyone who was playing that uh, a couple of years ago. So I think for Nick Chubb though, I'm starting to to warm up to a little bit more upside than I think some people may have in Chubb. And the reason is, I understand that there's this concern about Hunt. I just don't know how they're going to use Hunt. With, yeah, agreed. With with Chubb, and I looked specifically at the Vikings last year and you know Dalvin Cook only had 59 percent 
of the um, of the, the rushing share in the games that he played versus, like you said, um, that that Chubb was was much higher. He was in the top five. But if you if you take out the games after he was injured near the end of the season in week thirteen, and you take out these blowout sort of yes, games, right, right, it goes up to around seventy five percent. So it's actually pretty high and. I just don't know what like, like I know Hunt was a very popular uh, choice for some people for a pick. Like I think there's some possibility that Hunt could get rele- relegated to a role that won't be that fruitful this year, be- only because last year um, I looked at it and it was about almost 80 percent of Hunt's snaps. Nick Chubb was on the field at the same time. Yeah, as as Kareem Hunt was on the field, whereas in Minnesota they were never on the field together. Alexander Madison and and Dalvin Cook, uh, not a single snap. So. Like, I, I just don't like I think there's a possibility if Chubb stays healthy, they may just roll with him in there. And when they bring in, you know, they're using 35 percent, 12 personnel last year, but it was almost entirely fullback, a fullback, a blocker who they could who they could bring in. So if Hunt can't fill that role, I think there is some possibility that he just ends up being the backup. And if that happens, maybe there's actually upside for Chubb's receptions if they don't want to, to rotate backs like that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's fair. The other thing, though, that I would say, too, is that there's also in, in Chubb's range of outcomes that Kareem Hunt just takes a, a very, very large chunk, at least compared to what True. we're projecting out of that backfield. So there is some variance there. Um, but I mean, Nick Chubb is Nick Chubb. It would be very, very uh, not thoughtful for them to to take him off the field. Uh, I mean, Kareem Hunt's very talented, obviously, but um, I, I think that your points are valid. I just this is this to me, this bold prediction is more about pointing out James Conner's upside and, and realizing that upside and then realizing that, you know, Nick Chubb is now working against Kareem Hunt's receiving ability. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think there's been a consistent theme as we've discussed this that I'm normally attacking it from a different angle <laughs> yeah, than yeah, what, what you're coming at it with, just because there is one side of it. That's that, that that's fairly strong. And that's kind of the upside of the guys that, you, that you're pointing to. Okay. So uh, Ridley and Julio Jones finishing his top 12 wide receivers. Now this has been a pretty popular thing that's been discussed. Um, do you, I mean, I don't know. Do you have anything unique to, to, to add to this in, in your write-up that, that came out to you when you were thinking about this take that you haven't seen out there? No, I mean, this is not that bold of a take. I understand. I think that a lot of people just see it as somewhat bold because they're on the same team. Um, right. But that happened. We, we see pairing wide receiver pairings as top 12 wide receivers all the time. We see more than one of them per season. Obviously, we had it last year with, with Godwin and Evans. And I think of all wide receivers uh, and, and pairings, these are the two that you could see finishing the top 12 together. I kind of wish I was a little bit bolder, though, and went with like, DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, who I I'm very yeah. high on this year, or, or even like a Juju and Deontay Johnson or something. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that this one is, is fairly self-explanatory. Now, the, one of the pairings that I, it's, I don't think it's that bold necessarily either, but if what's, what's bolder Jones and, uh, and Ridley or Cooper cup and Robert Woods, I would say cup and woods would be bolder, but I, I also think that that's realistic. I mean, what we're looking at here, what we're dissecting here is what teams are going to give 50% of their targets to their wide right. receivers. And that's really what, yeah. you know, that's, that's what's likely to happen with Ridley and Jones. Yeah. I don't know why I have, I've kind of like biased against Calvin Ridley for some reason. I think it's because he is production wasn't so great as a rookie. I mean, it was okay. It was, it was better last year, obviously, but I feel like he's always had, like he's viewed in some way that's maybe a notch or two above what his, what his production has said. It's like the same guys who hate DJ more kind of like Calvin Ridley for some, for yeah, some well, reason. it's the same, same draft class. And there were battles and <laughs> battles with DJ more versus Calvin yeah. Ridley. But, but I agree with you. I mean, if you were to take Calvin Ridley out of this offense, we would not be drafting him where we're drafting yeah. him. It's the fact that he's opposite of Julio Jones and they've ran that. I mean, Dirk Cutter has been top four in neutral, pa- neutral script pass 
pass to rush ratio in every season that he's been in Atlanta. So that, I mean, yeah. it's, it's really the, the situation that we're loving with Ridley. Right, right. And if you want to go back, you know, a number of years, you had those, um, Roddy White, Julio Jones, uh, combinations where, yeah. where they had, they had guys who were, who were dominating, um, both on the same team. All right. Next here, uh, number 10, Bryce Love will outscore both carry on Johnson and Marlon Mack, not just one, not just one, yes. but both handily. Uh, yeah, yeah. Let, let me know how this works. Yeah. I mean, look, this is me just really throwing Marlon Mack and carry on Johnson under the bus. <laughs> I, I, I just can't get behind drafting Johnson and Mack. And this was my way of like telling people that I'm not into either of those players. Uh, is this rookie I, delusion though? Is there any rookie delusion in here or rookie hype or anything coming into play? Maybe, maybe a little like, I, I mean, look, I think you'd agree that Jonathan Taylor is an unbelievable prospect and it wouldn't yes. shock anyone if he just like dominates that backfield and takes over by like right. week two or three. Right? right. I think Deandre Swift is more of the question mark, but now there's question marks about carry on Johnson's health. And if his knee's good, uh, he's apparently wearing a brace all the time. Uh, so there, there's, to me, the, the, you know, in any of these scenarios, you know, whenever a lot of these rookies were drafted to these these crowded backfields, everyone was like, oh, I'm not touching these rookies in, in redraft because they're in these crowded backfields. But that's when you should be targeting them because their teams are going out and saying we need another running back piece. We want another running back piece. And then obviously the guys that they're they're competing with. I mean, you look across the board, whether it's Mark Ingram to a degree. Daryl Henderson, uh, you know, Marlon Mack, carry on Johnson, Ronald Jones, all these guys have serious question marks as to whether or not, you know, they're going to be good productive fantasy assets moving forward. So this is really just me saying, I wouldn't be shocked if these rookies just take over their backfields, especially with Deandre Swift doing a lot more as a pass catcher. You know, I think that's something that carry on Johnson could have realistically taken on and been sort you know, sort of a higher floor play, but I don't know if that's going to be there, uh, the way that we thought maybe three months ago. Um, and then with Bryce love, you know, I, I don't know how good Bryce Love's going to be. I have no idea. No one really knows how good Bryce love will be or can be. He does have at least a season in, in college where we've seen him be very productive. No Darius guys anymore in Washington. I love Antonio Gibson. I'm very, very excited for Antonio Gibson and I would be drafting Antonio Gibson. But again, you know, we're, we're talking about a guy who only had 77 total touches in college. We don't know what he's going to look like on the ground. Um, Adrian Peterson, I think is probably the biggest question mark here, uh, because they love him or the, the franchise seems to love him, uh, new coaching change though. And, and, and new coaching regime could kind of push AP out a little bit and that could allow Bryce love to, to do well. And we're really just going off of camp hype with this, with, with, uh, the way that we're viewing Bryce love, I think now, um, in words that should never be spoken in, in any, in any form of fantasy podcast or otherwise, are you concerned about JD McKissick by, by any bitty chance? It, it, <laughs> yeah. It's wrong. Dude, I feel like every I'm other, actually slightly, I'm actually I, slightly I concerned too. about it. Okay. Yeah, I am All too. Right. Every other tweet from a Washington beat writer is about JD McKissick yeah. and it's, it's blow. I mean, I'm loving the Logan Thomas hype, which we'll get to in a second. I'm yeah. loving the Logan Thomas love, but then all I see is like, you know, Antonio Gibson's doing decent stuff too. And they, you know, yesterday scored a couple touchdowns, but I swear JD McKissick is all over the field apparently. And, and he's, he's got the pass catching skill set that scares me about the upside for all of these guys. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's the one thing Okay, for, for love that made me a little bit more down on him. Maybe than when I started this exercise, of course, the purpose of the exercise was to become down on him. So um, (laughs) it's a little bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy here Uh, was the fact that not only do you have Gibson, but you also have 
<laughs> the McKissick factor. And you have these these two things together where, you know, we we both looked at these break, breakout running backs, who they are, and the pass catching element. It just seems like what are you going to need to happen for Love to really get some of those high quality touches in the passing game? This, I, I, it just is more difficult to figure out that scenario than it may be for health aside. I, I thought Carryon Johnson was a guy that I kind of liked going into Sam. Um, um, because of the fact that he, he fit as being one of these third-year guys, and that's normally when people start really selling on guys and you can get them at a discount. He fit as someone who showed some receiving ability. So I think for Johnson in particular, there are paths to him really being a difference maker, although at where he's being drafted I think is one of the problems too because you could still sometimes get some pretty good uh, players, either wide receiver or tight end or maybe yeah. even quarterback if you want to go there. So I think that's the downside on them. But uh, yeah, the McKissick factor, it, we have to, we have to take, you, I mean, you have to hope that they like only hold three running backs or something and they, you know, they don't, he doesn't make the team or something, but the way that they're talking about him, I just don't see how he wouldn't. Yeah. I mean, this, it, it might not be a surprise that the Logan Thompson and the McKissick are both on the same team where literally anyone steps in. They're like, oh, yeah. this guy's pretty good <laughs> compared yeah, to what right. we got on our roster. <laughs> um, all right. So Tyler Lockett, uh, as you mentioned earlier, is potential in, in, the, in the duo there with DK Metcalf, but just specifically for Lockett finishing as a top eight wide receiver. Yeah. So last year before that leg injury that he had, he was averaging 19 PPR points per game. He was the wide receiver three in fantasy football. So I don't think that this is even all that bold. Uh, and that's on a team that was fairly run heavy, uh, you know, over the last uh, two seasons with, with, with Brian Schottenheimer, the Seahawks offense is ranked 32nd and 31st in neutral script pass to rush ratio. Um, but maybe there's a scenario where Russell Wilson cooks a little bit more this year and that they actually unleash him a little bit more. Um, but the thing that I love about these Seattle wide receivers is that historically, I mean, throughout Russell Wilson's career, you not only see a high average at the target, which is what we want, but you also see a lot of end zone targets last season. DK Metcalf is a rookie led the NFL in, in, in end zone targets. Tyler Lockett was fourth. Uh, he had a 22.4% target share last year. Lockett did. I think Lockett and DK Metcalf could easily see 50% of the team's targets um, and, and Lockett, I think is just a, a fairly safer option between the two. But I mean, I love, I, I could throw DK Metcalf in this bold prediction too, and, and sort of go with the same argument. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny you say that because that was, that's actually my main counter is, is why not Metcalf instead of Lockett only because uh, I mean, there were some issues with why Lockett wasn't getting a lot of volume earlier in his, in his career. But if you look through his first four seasons, we're talking about 69 targets, 66, 71, 70. He had the big jump last year. Um, you know, I don't want to get to like splitting sample is sort of thing here, but I'll use it to my advantage and just say that, you know, in three games last year, he had like 65% of his targets in, in, in three different games. For, for that, like that stretch yeah, that he was doing yeah. really well. He had 18 in one game, 14 in 12. And then those other, the rest of those nine games where he was doing really well, it was seven, six, five, four, four, and two. So I don't know. I guess I'm a little bit more concerned about him versus someone like DK Metcalf who had 100 targets as a rookie, what he could potentially do at, you know, about the same ADP, I'd say. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm drafting both of them heavily this year, so I can't really argue against that. All right. Uh, Jamison Crowder will score more points than Stefan Diggs. Um, actually, you know what? We're just going to skip this one. I have no I have no argument against against that one. Uh, <laughs> Josh, do you think Josh Allen related? I'm just going to say, well, <laughs> that's, that's yeah, exactly. Fine. Exactly. I can't argue for anything that's positive with Josh Allen. It's part of the PFF code. Um, 
Miles Sanders. Now, this is this is an interesting one. I guess, well, we'll, we'll you know, there's this injury news, so it kind of sours a little bit. But Miles yeah. Sanders finishing as a top two running back. Yeah, I mean, look, I think that there's uh, he I really should have said top three to just go with the Dalvin Cook prediction I had last year, because I think he's this year's Dalvin Cook, um, where you you have a player who uh, he came on towards the end of last year. Uh, when Jordan Howard was out, he had 66.8% of the team's running back rushes or sorry, overall rush or no running back rushes. Yeah. And a 12.2% target share uh, per game average. Uh, he had 17.2 PPR points per game. A lot of people are down on Sanders because of what Doug Peterson has done historically uh, in that offense over the four years he's been in Philadelphia. Um, but his, le- his leading rusher, Doug Peterson's in Philadelphia has been Wendell Smallwood, like overall across the four seasons. So let's not pretend that he's had a talent like Miles Sanders. And of course you and I will say talent isn't that big of a deal at the running back position. doesn't matter that much, but it does in terms of coaches wanting to put players on the field and then giving them volume. And that's what we care about in fantasy football. So talent does matter at fantasy football. Uh, and there's been a lot of talk from like Deuce Staley uh, saying that Miles Sanders is going to be the guy. I was ready for them to, to have a, a quote from them saying that they were going to give him the ball until he vomits as we've, as we've heard in the past uh, with, with Andre Ellington, I think it was. Uh, but I, I just think that we are seeing a, a good, uh, season for Miles Sanders this year. He should be drafted where he's being drafted. Um, he should just see a lot of work in that offense. Okay. So top. Yeah. I, my main complaint is maybe what, wh- why, 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 why set that far? For <laughs> I, sh- I don't know why I realized after I published it, I'm like, okay, CMC is going to be there. And then now he has to compete with like Saquon Zeke in this offense that Zeke's in and like. I should have gone with like three or four, but then I thought people would come at me and say, that's not bold enough. So I went to top two, but I'm going to, I'm going to give myself a W if he's like top four. Yeah, of course. You know, yeah. you can't there. You, you have to win, win within, <laughs> win within any sort of range there. I think the W is appropriate. So I, I mean, I like Sanders. Um, the one thing that maybe when I dug into it was a little bit concerning is that, the Eagles backfield just generally hasn't been super productive. Now, maybe that's a function of the fact that the um, the the running back talent that they have. And it's actually there's there's been like this inverse correlation between how well the offense is functioning and how well the running backs are are doing, at least in a PPR format where they're catching a lot of passes. If you look at when since Wentz was been there in 2016, um, in total PPR points for running backs, the Eagles were ninth in his rookie year, and that was just a very inefficient season for him. In his MVP, you know, adjacent season, they were 21st. So it just fell a lot of bit because he was throwing the ball down the field a lot. They were 18th the next season when they were okay, and it was a split between Foles there. And then they went back to being seventh. So they went, you know, being a bit higher. That target share that we saw for Sanders was pretty high. But how much of that is you know, like I said, the fact that the offense just was not performing well, they didn't have anyone out of wide re- wide receiver. So that's a little bit of a concern of mine. And, you know, I'd like to, you know, play up some sort of like Boston Scott angle here, but yeah. I just can't. I yeah, really exactly. can't. So, so I'm just, I'm not even going to go there. I thought about going there, but even in a disingenuous debate format, I could not, I could not go there. So <laughs> that would be my only concern is, well, what do you think about the Eagles offense and whether Wentz is, I mean, Wentz is not like, a few people are like Drew Brees who are going to find these guys on their first read, but do you think that that's, do you think maybe the wide receiver position couldn't get any worse this year? Yeah. And those guys will just will just take away the the high, high end for someone like Sanders. Yeah, I would just be more concerned if he had like a Kareem Hunt target share, you know, where it was in like the 18, 19 percent range. But I think a 12 percent range is at least reasonable enough to sustain and maintain. And that's that's the main reason I'm still on. OK, so 
Logan Thomas. I know you've been waiting for this. The people have been waiting for this also. <laughs> Will be a surprise tight end this year. Go ahead. Give it, yeah, give it I mean, look, uh, I think that there's a non-zero chance that he's this year's Darren Waller. Ooh. Where where we have we have a player switching positions. You know, it's different going from wide receiver <laughs> than from quarterback, of course. But we yeah. have these insane he's an insane athlete. If you look at his measurables, they're absolutely they're nuts. And so love, we have that's this. All I do is I sit around and look at measurables. So yeah, yeah, I, I know yeah. I know these things. And so so of all the positions in fantasy football, tight end is the one where I've found at least uh, the the athleticism matter. You know, I talked about it earlier with T.J. Hawkinson. The athleticism matters the most. So so that's the the number one uh, thumbs up for for Logan Thomas. But also, there's no one else in that offense where you know, there's, there's no one else to, uh, other than Terry McLaurin. That's going to demand a high target share. He's now getting, ever since I published this article, there's been so many positive uh, tweets about Logan Thomas. So I'm just retweeting all of them every time that I see them. But uh, this is really a, a take on his athleticism combined with uh, a target share that's up for grabs. It's a bad offense. Sure. Um, but we've seen tight ends emerge whenever there's not uh, a lot of alternatives in an offense. Um, and I also, to be fair, I, I said that Logan Thomas will be the surprise tight end this year as my bold prediction. I'm not putting any parameters around that. So what does that mean? I don't know, but I'm, I'm hoping that I'm, I'm generally right with the prediction as a result. See that, that was one of my complaints. So I like that you threw the Walder <laughs> in there. I like you threw the Darren Walder in there. My other complaint is like, in what scenario are you, well, how actionable is this information? Like, <laughs> like I could understand if maybe like you were, you got too high and you fell asleep and you just auto drafted through and you realized in the 30th round of your 16 team draft that you needed a tight end that you'd be like, Oh, you know what? Let me, let me get that Logan Thomas before someone else, someone <laughs> yeah. else snaps him I, up. I so what, it. what is, what is the scenario that this is useful? Well, okay. Well, it's brand building. Number one, Kevin, <laughs> <laughs> it's a brand building take. Yeah. I don't, I don't have those. I, I've, no, I've no. been doing enough of that. Clearly, <laughs> no, number ahead. two, number two, I think it's feasible at the end of a best ball draft where you're going to see more tight ends drafted in those scenarios, right? Where, okay. you know, the, the Irv Smith, who I, I love Irv Smith this year, the Irv Smith, Chris Herndon tier is gone. And you're looking at like Gerald Everett or, Logan Thomas, I think it's totally fine to go with Logan Thomas in that scenario because we know that Gerald Everett might have a cap ceiling with, with Tyler Higby. I mean, I like Gerald Everett too, but he might have a cap ceiling with Tyler Higby. Whereas Logan Thomas could seriously, like, would you be shocked out of your mind if maybe that's the wrong way to phrase it? Would you be, would you be surprised or even just like, like moderately surprised if Logan Thomas ended the season with like a 15% target share? No, but I also wouldn't be surprised if that fifty percent target share did, like didn't really turn into <laughs> did, anything. Did nothing. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, let me let me do a little rapid fire here. I'm spending way too much time on Logan Thomas okay, already, okay, but, okay, I'm, okay. I'm, I'm, but I'm but I'm but I'm I'm sticking with it because we want to we want to pump up the brand. Maybe I can I could I could get some like brand adjacent to do here. Okay. So <laughs> these the, these tight ends. Who are you taking? You taking okay. Tyler Eifert or Logan Thompson? Logan Thomas. Thomas. Sorry, <laughs> Logan Thomas. Okay. Uh, Will Disley. I'd go with Logan Thomas. Okay, Jimmy Graham, who is a star of Bears camp, which is I, you know, yeah, I'm most definitely going Logan Thomas. There's no doubt. Okay, Dan Arnold, that's just fun to draft Dan Arnold. Yeah, I actually drafted Dan Arnold or, or like in May, uh, but I, I, I'm I'm a I'm a on team Logan Thomas now. I would go Logan Thomas over Dan Arnold. Okay, there you go. Um, okay, last one here. We've we've come to we actually made up quite quite a bit of time there, so that was good. Yeah. So Will Fuller 
darling of the fantasy expert community, at least of, of Evan Silva, which ends up like filtering out to everyone sure. else, will yeah. score more points than Keenan Allen. And the one thing I'll preface this with, and I think that it's probably part of the discussion, is I looked up their like the, I tracked their ADPs over time, and it's basically like like Keenan Allen up here, Fuller down here, and then it's just gone like this. Like they're almost they're almost converging to to a single line here. So how much of it is you know, a, a cost-based play versus you just like the upside of Will Fuller. I, I think it's more so I like the upside of Will Fuller. I'm very down on the Chargers offense this year. I, I'm just mm-hmm. scared. I, it's it's a very hard offense to project. You know, it starts with Austin Eckler, who I think is more of a floor play than a ceiling play. Uh, and and Keenan Allen, I think you can throw in that same bucket. Um, you know, I, I will say he's one of three wide receivers outside of DeAndre Hopkins and Michael Thomas to essentially hit 1,200 yards in each of the last three. Or I guess, no, I think it's 16 or more PPR points uh, per game in each of the last three seasons. But he's also had t- almost 1,200 or more yards in each of those three seasons as well. But the the big change that I feel like not enough people are, are I mean, obviously Keenan Allen with Philip Rivers would probably be like a late third round pick or mid third round pick. Um, but you're still seeing him often in like the fourth round. Um, and I don't think enough of, of a Philip Rivers discount is being credited here where uh, w- w- with Rivers, uh, you have a lower average depth of target quarterback, one that doesn't necessarily attack deep very often. He's been below average at deep ball rate very frequently across his career. Uh, and then you're, you're now pairing him with Tyrod Taylor, who's been the opposite for the most part. And then if it's Justin Herbert, we don't know what Justin Herbert's going to be capable of. And then not only that, there's been studies done by, by Rich Rebar in particular that shows that that rookie quarterback stepping in and playing five or more games is very, very bad for their wide receivers. It's not shocking, uh, but they have wide receiver twos or better on only like 27% of the their, their teams, uh, 27% of the time. So I, I'm just not high in this Chargers offense because of all the question marks. So you could see a scenario where Keenan Allen just takes a step back this year. And then with Will Fuller, you know, it just goes back to what I look at with wide receivers, high average at the target, he has that. He's been in the 91st percentile on average depth of target across his career. Uh, and then he also has a uh, the, the 23rd best rate of finishing as a top 12 wide receiver since he entered the league. And the guys in front of him are like legit players. I know that 23rd doesn't sound very high, but he's ahead of guys like T.Y. Hilton and Amari Cooper. Um, so if he's healthy, he's finishing, you know, with those with those high end games. And then obviously DeAndre Hopkins isn't there anymore. So you know, what if Will Fuller, instead of seeing a prorated target share of like 20, 21%, he gets up to 24, 25%. What if that happens? It's very easy to see Will Fuller then given his circumstances, given the quarterback play, you know, finishing well above Keenan Allen this year. Yeah. I mean, if you go back and you look at Tyrod Taylor, other than, I guess it was, um, was it rookie year, uh, Sammy Watkins, where he had like this yeah, insane like, yeah. efficiency yeah, and that he was pretty productive. It's been pretty tough. Now, I think he did have decent, um, decent production, at least volume to Charles Clay. So I don't know if maybe, you know, he could use Allen over the middle of the field like that. But obviously, I think that's that's the big problem is he just doesn't have any history of of lifting his wide receivers. And I, I kind of agree with it there. So the only thing that I had to, to point out there is the ADP difference. And you, you addressed that, that you're still okay with it, despite the fact that they're almost at the same ADP at this point. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, I think that wraps it up. Um, hopefully everyone's stayed, stayed in for the Logan Thomas talk. Maybe we'll have, we'll have to have a follow up. <laughs> I think we'll have to have to follow up podcast on just uh, Logan Thomas. Is there anything you want to, you want to plug before we get out here? Obviously the work that you're doing at, 
at Number Fire Fan Duel uh, podcast. Um, anything else you want you want to plug here? Yeah, I mean it's really you know the late round podcast here in a couple of weeks. I'll be doing that four times a week. Um, right now Holy it's two Lord, times a week. That's a lot. Yeah, yeah, four times a week. <laughs> Uh, so that'll, that'll begin shortly and soon. That's sort of my, my baby at this point in the, in the fantasy world. It's where a lot of my effort goes, goes to, uh, so the late round podcast, I would say was, is the main plug. Now, how do you find like the feedback that you get on something like that? Do you, is it, is it better or worse than writing an article? Cause sometimes my thing is you put something out there into the world and you're just like, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. Do, do, do you feel like you get, you get enough response because of those mailbag episodes that you know that people are really engaged on there? Yeah. And what I find that's interesting and and I enjoy it is that, you know, that people who are committed to listening to a podcast are more committed to you as an analyst, as opposed to someone just like coming across an article and reading that article. And so from that perspective, your Logan Thomas brand is more attached. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're more, they're more forgiving, right? You know, I had some horrible, I had some great hits last year was a very high variance year for me where I had like, you know, the, the hits that we talked about in the bold predictions article and like Lamar Jackson, I was really into, but like, I missed Derrick Henry for instance, right? I just was not into Derrick Henry last year and, and I I'll, I'll take heat, but it's not the same as a random troll finding an article and taking a screenshot of something and putting that out into the world. Whereas other people will, will be like, Oh, I understand. I get it. Cause they understand the context and they can hear my voice and, and understand where I'm coming from with a lot of these takes. So I, I enjoy it a lot more. I think it's a lot easier to get at least positive feedback and more realistic feedback than some random internet troll that's just trying to get you. No, that's uh, totally agree. Now I, I am a listener to, to the late round podcast to, I know you didn't mention living the stream. You try not to. Del- yeah, there's the also living there. the stream. That's like that's that's where I let my hair down a little bit, and 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 it's more so a lifestyle podcast at this point. Right. So I, I mean, I, I'd make the time to listen to both of those. Anyone who's listening here who doesn't happen to already be following JJ, which is probably a pretty small amount. And uh, I thank you for 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 helping me kick this off. And hopefully, we'll be talking again during the season. Yeah, man, I appreciate it. <laughs>